to the Skeptic Wire. August 1st, 2012, episode 69. Brown chicken, brown cow. And I'm your host, Gary Lawn. And with me this week, uh, as we're here last week, but we did not introduce because, screw it, is Dennis Wofford. Hello, hello, hello. And Greg Perrine. Wow. Yep, kind of sounds... No, it doesn't. All right. (laughs) So how's everybody's week? Everybody's week good? Happy. Doing all right? Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. All right. Yeah. Busy. Nothing horrible. Yeah. Nothing great. Just a week. No. Well, I was I was an extra. I was a paid extra in a in a television, a cable television oh, program. Like someone who stands in the background of a movie production, not like a an, a third no, person my, in my a No, my voice, my <laughs> wow. <laughs> Right, uh, getting that image out of my head. I'll put it. I'll put it over here where I can refer to it later. Yeah, that area called the Spank Bank. Yeah. Yes, and I'll have to keep it there until after the Olympics are over. So, uh, <laughs> you've been watching a lot of women's volleyball, haven't you? Yeah, actually, I haven't. I, I haven't seen any, like maybe a couple of minutes from 2008 Olympics because that's all you can find on YouTube. All right, um, where's it going with this? Oh yeah, you were an extra. <laughs> I was an extra, yeah. And they actually recorded my voice, and and it'll be under a voiceover. But uh, I did play a part, not just a person, you know, person walking in the background, which I also did. So very excited. I was bar patron Yay. number three. Were you, I was going to say bar patron number one. Yeah, there were three bar patrons. I was the third one listed, but they didn't have numbers by us. But I figure since I was the third one listed, you were bar patron number number three, three. and date number two. And yeah. guy who finds the inventory hand, you know, the little laser inventory machine. Pretty so, cool. Inventory gun, excuse me, that's what it is, yeah. So, yeah, I get to stand out in the heat um, and pick up cans. <laughs> so very excited. It's called the, the Unusual Suspects on the Investigation Discovery Channel. It'll probably be out by the end of August. Oh, congratulations. I'll let people know. Yeah. That, that's how my yesterday went. Which would be Tuesday. No. Yes, Tuesday. Yeah, my biggest television claim to fame was as a little kid, I was a one-day guest on uh, Romper Room. Oh, yeah. Yep. yeah. You had mentioned that before. And you didn't get paid for it. Did you get a lollipop? No, I got a picture with the Romper Room lady. Oh, right on. Um, which I remember is back there. But essentially, they had the main group of actual actors, and then a bunch of kids they would bring in to do one big activity. Sure. Halfway through, and then they'd make you all shuffle off again. Sure. I was part of that group that would get to come in that one time. And that was a fun little memory, so it's yeah. fun to, you know, be... And Donna, of course, I'm like, works I've on this all the time. Food Network and Nat Geo. Yeah. <laughs> you're more behind the camera because you know what you're doing on a movie set. She's, she's been in front of the camera, too. Okay. Yeah. 
But more often you're behind the camera. Yes. Is what I would say. As am I. (laughs) Usually I'm. uh, (laughs) I think think Callie is trying to tell us that she wants to be in front of the camera. I think so. Either that or she wants, she wants Misi to play. And Misi's like, God damn it. (laughs) It's hot outside. I don't want to do that. All right. Um, anyway, so what what have we for birthdays? We have birthday today. We have John Baptiste Pierre Antoine de Monet Chevalier de Lamarck. Do you know who, birthday? Yes. Do you know who <laughs> Jean Baptiste Pierre Antoine de, La, uh, de Monet Chevalier de Lamarck's? Was? Uh, well, I think he was related to John Jingle, John Jingle Jacob Jingleheimer Smith. Smith. John Jacob Jingleheimer Smith. Not, okay, hold on. I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> Hold on. Chevrolet. Uh, Chevrolet's. He came up with the... The, the car, right? He's a car it's guy? It's spelled differently. Oh. Jean-Baptiste Pierre Antoine de Monet Chevrolet. Oh, Monet. Uh, was he a painter? No. He... Uh, was he a Baptist? I don't think so. I uh, he stood on a pier. Well, Jean, Jean-Baptiste, he, he was the, the dude from uh, the, yeah, the from... Uh, seven, uh, six, fifth, fifth Element. Yeah. There you go. We got it. Yep. Kind of close, because Jean-Baptiste Pierre-Antoine de Monet Chevalier de Lamarck, who f- from now on I will just refer to as Lamarck, w- believed in Lamarckian. the four elements uh-huh. as was the causes of Lamarckian evolution. Aha! Yes. I he, wouldn't have got that. Well, I got it once you said Lamarck. I was like, ah, of course, you yes. go Lamarck. So uh, Lamarck was started out life as kind of a poor aristocrat. Um, he went into the military. A of poor France. aristocrat. Well, you know, if, were, he would, if he would have been a De Lamarck, then they could have been a boy band. <laughs> <laughs> he was born to an aristocratic family that was down on its luck. Ah. Uh, so a lot of the brothers went into the military. He did as well, but after he had it on... Um, so sort of like, kind of like Darwin in that respect of Darwin definitely married up. Because Darwin married into the Wedgwood family. He, had, he was pretty poor, but yeah, he, he, he had married up. three marriages, and he did get good jobs. He did eventually start working for, what was it? Best Buy. The, AGB. He was a, he was part of the French Academy of Scientists. He was a royal botanist. Then after the revolution, he still worked to maintain like the gardens and stuff. So he was well paid for someone who just did science. So he he after he left the military, he got into wait. He was a botanist, but he maintained the grounds, and you call, so they no well, no he's, uh, he's <laughs> a gardener. Minis- he administered I'm a, I'm a the, um, the 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 royal collection of rare species from other lands. Okay. So he he was more administrative than I am digging this hole to put this tree in. Okay. He did bring a lot of species back <laughs> yeah, to France for the garden and all that 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 were good. Um and the he was garden. the royal garden place thing where they did botany. And they had <laughs> species <laughs> of examples botany of botany and a little bit of spanking. <laughs> In the Royal Garden. That's what they're calling it these days. Or that's what they called it in those days. The Royal Garden. Would you like to see my Royal Garden? <laughs> yes, ma'am. I'm a botanist. <laughs> oh, shall we have spanking laser? <laughs> well, you know, Marie Antoinette. What did they use I mean, before, she was a little German war, war so... 
They had to get a whole chamber ensemble to come uh, in. Well, yeah, they, they, had the, they had the trumpet with the mute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. <clears throat> yes. So he he did some good science in things like classifying invertebrates and um, is is attributed to the first modern use of the word biology as we think of it now. Uh, but he also had a lot of kind of crazy ideas. He did understand that that species were not static. There was change. So he was one of the first people to say, yes, there is a natural process of change in species. And he did come up with a, what we will call a theory of evolution. Right. He believed that um, Not the theory, but and the theory. Yes, yes. exactly. It was um, the idea that your environment gives rise to change. The classic example being that an ancestor of giraffes kept trying to stre- stretch its neck towards higher and higher branches. So that meant later generations got somehow stretched. But, yeah. it was, but you were talking earlier about the four elements. It was very based in kind of alchemy and the idea of the fluids of the body and as you were moving or whatever gave rise to higher and higher complexity. So not only was it this idea of you're just kind of stretching more and that changes how your your babies are, but also the idea that you're moving along a ladder towards complexity and mm-hmm. perfection. So it was a lot more di- idea of a directed evolution towards a ladder up to the ideal of whatever it would be. But it did have the idea of adapting to a specific environment, which was kind of the best science of its time. Sure. But he wasn't, he, it's not like he was 100% ex- accepted in his time. It was kind of derided, and, and people even within, not soon thereafter, said, no, this doesn't really make a lot of sense. And yeah, because we're was, talking uh, early 19th century, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of his theories were based along the lines of, Still believing in spontaneous generation, yeah. the idea that oh, I left a piece of meat there, and all of a sudden maggots yes. sprung out yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah, not thinking the flies laid eggs. Sure. So the idea that oh, th- organisms are constantly being spontaneously generated—that means everything is constantly evolving towards more complexity. Where no, not everything is evolving towards more complexity. Bi- uh, bacteria right, but- have been evolving for billions of years. Oh, no, billions? Millions. Billions. Millions, okay. Billions, Billion, would it be? Billions for bacteria. They, they've been around for quite a while. Okay, I I apologize for my ignorance there. <laughs> they've been around for a long time, bacteria, yeah. and they are constantly evolving, but they're not exactly getting more complex. They're just developing they're, they're slight adapting, changes. They're adapting to, to whatever environment, environment yeah. that they need to adapt to. So he did, there were some good things in the idea of adaption and change and and there's an actual natural process to this, but the unfortunate thing was their idea of natural is what we understand as supernatural, the alchemy and the, the humors and the fluids right. and stuff like that. So not, not I mean, I, I've always had this idea in my head of Lamarck being just this wackadoodle who didn't really understand science, but he was a product of his time. Right. And he did some good science in cataloging invertebrates and stuff like that. He made like some that. progress. So... I, I will have. not make fun of him for his wacky, wacky theories of Lamarckian <laughs> evolution. Except um, by calling them wacky, wacky theories. Yes. In, in, in retrospect, we now know they are bunkum, but 
hey, that's what science does. We try something, we go down an alley, it may be a blind alley, we have to turn around and um, do something else. So, Speak about doing something else. That was Lamarck. Jean-Baptiste Pierre-Antoine de Monet, Chevalier de Lamarck. Yes. August 1st, 1744. Yep. All right. Well, thank you very much for that birthday. Thank but you. Speaking of progressing science, we have a very exciting progress of science, which is currently progressing towards the planet Mars. A Mars rover going to land... If everything goes well... <laughs> if everything goes well, it, it has a lot of potential for being scary and blow-uppy. Yes. Well, if, if you haven't go, uh, seen the Seven Minutes of Terror, you should probably uh, YouTube it and watch that. It's really, very fascinating. Well, <clears throat> it's a very fascinating video of how this rover called the Curiosity is going to land on Mars. Uh, and it's happening this Sunday, Sunday going into Monday, uh, on August 5th. Central time, it's about uh, midnight 30. Something along yeah, those Yeah, I think it's 10.30 Pacific, uh, 10.30 p.m. Pacific. And so just wherever you are from there, figure it out. Uh, NASA's going to have a, a live streaming of it. They've also, they're worried that they were going to have to wait a while before Curiosity landed. Uh, before they got word that it, it actually landed and, and picked it up. But they found that they can use some of the orbiting satellites to uh, find it and receive data and then send it back. So that's really exciting. The ones orbiting Mars? Yeah. Okay. Not the ones orbiting Earth would find it? No. Okay. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, Mars... Oh, curse. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, well, it does matter if you're actually running, you know, doing the... One of, like, the, the Mars mapping satellites, probably, yes. something like that. Exactly. Um, so that's really exciting. It's it's really cool how this thing is going to land. Uh, it's going to come in at, what, 13,000 miles per hour. Really fucking fast. Yeah. Well, that's all I know. Yeah. And then it's going to deploy a chute. A supersonic chute. Yes. Which will slow it down, and it'll start going down towards the ground, and then... The the little pod that this is in will open up and it'll drop out the bottom of this pod and then Some rockets sort. will keep it from falling uh, and then it it'll kind of hover in the sky almost yeah it'll it'll find out where it's at find a good place to land and then it will lower the actual Curiosity onto the ground via these cables, cables. yeah and then the rocket ship will fly away so it doesn't fall onto Curiosity. And, as, I mean, that's really amazing. And it has to do it all by itself. So all of this has been pre-programmed to, to do So no one's controlling this because there's a 14-minute delay. Actually, there's a 28-minute delay because there's 14 minutes there and 14 minutes back. So they could not do this live. It right. has to do it all by itself. So it's got some really cool AI working. It, I mean, there's there's a lot of possibilities for things going wrong. There's the supersonic chute not slowing it down enough. Mm -hmm. There's when it's released from the pod, the computer says, I won't open the pod bay doors. Yeah. Um, or the, it says, oh, I'm already on the ground and yeah. just drops it. Or there's four <laughs> rockets and only three of them work. I mean, that might work okay. And then maybe the cables are coming down and the little monkey that's turning the wheel to let the cables down decides to go on a smoke break and won't yeah, lower it down. Yeah, there's all kinds of reasons why it might. But yeah. that they are confident 
in at NASA that this is a reliable system that can work to yep. spend yep. some billions of dollars on, not just putting it on a big, 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 big parachute, yep. which we and know. And lose sleep to watch it. So, go science. This should be awesome. Yeah. So, go uh, set up a set up a meetup and go out to a bar and have uh, have some drinks with friends while this is happening. I think it's going to be really cool. That's what we're doing here in San Antonio. So that's what I'm doing. I don't know about you guys. I'm going to try and be there. All right. I will do my best. Okay. Moving on. Last week, I suggested a way for people who listen to this podcast to also go out and do something. Fortunately, what I suggested was a very simple thing to do. Slacktivism is what we're talking about. Exactly. So the idea that I talked about last week was there, uh, the website Natural News is a dangerous, horrible site full of misinformation and conspiracy theories, but there's this tool that people can install in most of the browsers. I found out this week they don't have a version for Internet Explorer, but Safari, Firefox, Chrome, and a couple of other ones that only uber nerds that are way above me in nerddom Ever use Netscape, <laughs> AOL. Yeah, well, I, oh, wait, I, I don't know about probably, AOL. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, but install it, AOL. It's a plugin that you can install to almost every browser, at least the main ones, to have a little tag after each and every web address you could ever work with to say, have other people rated this website as trustworthy or not? And it's called the Web of Trust. So you either you you go you look at a website link and on your your browser it'll say it'll have a yellow circle if it's kind of uh, iffy red circle dangerous green circle good so places like Facebook and Twitter and CNN or whatever like that they are reliable they're not going to spam you on purpose for now but places that are dangerous should be labeled as red. Well, I decided I'm going to try to feed people each week a new website to just go out and let's rate them to what they should be, as far as I am considered for being a skeptic. Last week we said, natural news, go vote them down, because they're in the 70th percentile of positiveness, which is not good. But I found a new website this week. Um, There was an author who is writing a book about the real facts about vaccines or something like that. And his website is saynotovaccines.org. <laughs> I'll bet that one's uh, well-trusted, isn't it? No, actually, because we've, I found out when I first went there that there are no existing Web of Trust recommendations on that one. Hmm. So I rated it negatively, at least on trustworthiness of information and child safety. I have no information about whether they spam you or they have viruses, so I gave them an even 50-50 rating on that one because I want to be fair. If they're not malicious in software, I'm going to rate them okay. But for their information content, I will rate them zero. So for people who hadn't done this last week, go on, go to the Web of Trust website. It's www.mywot.com. And you can install the plugin so you can start rating websites and seeing other people's ratings. So that's step number one. Step number two is posted on our Facebook page from a couple days ago. Um, I think it was Monday, the 30th of July. Um, but also we'll put it in the show notes. will be a specific link to do your rating for saynotovaccines.org. 
So once you've got this plugin installed, each week when I mention a new website, all you have to do is find our new link to saying we should rate this, click on it, takes 30 seconds, you're done, and you've made a difference and hopefully warned someone who doesn't know any better who has Web of Trust installed. That's an unfortunate part, but warn someone of misinformation out on the Internet and you can make a difference. Just I've sitting. already rated it in the time that you took to explain it. Exactly. <laughs> it takes that little amount of time. So go out there and be a slacktivist, and next week we'll bring a new website. I already have one out there that's really kind of scary and silly, but um, we'll we'll have just I'll, – I'll try to keep the segment a lot shorter in the future once our listeners have heard about Web of Trust a couple times. Yay! And I'm still trying to figure out kind of a name for this kind of segment of, like, the weekly web of trust recommendation, recommendation spelled with a W in the beginning, so it's alliterative. Or you could say, what are you thinking? Yeah, something like that. (laughs) Stop being more creative than me, Gary. (laughs) Homonyms, homophones. Well, homosexuals. Speaking, speaking of, of. <laughs> and unfortunately, the world has lost a great writer this week in the death of Gore Vidal. Probably best known for his work. Hold on, I'm gonna guess. You guys do this to me with the birthday segment. I'm gonna yeah. guess who it is. Gore Vidal, the 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 uh, bastard love child of Al Gore and Vidal Sassoon. Nope. Nope. Although, I will admit, every time I, I heard Gore Vidal's name, I thought of hair care products. <laughs> I, I know of Gore Vidal, but I don't know a lot about him. That's kind of a hole in my culture net. He so was, why don't you tell me more? He was a writer, specifically um, playwright, fiction, and essayist. Um, probably most essayist. Probably most famous work is Myra Breckenridge, which was a 1968 satirical novel um, that dealt with issues of feminism, transsexualism, was trouted as basically being borderline pornographic. So it wasn't that movie with Julia Roberts being an activist and all that? No, and it wasn't. That was Aaron Brockovich. Okay. He really did. He did delve into the, you know, the parts of the American psyche, the American culture. Of, he spent a lot of time talking about, quote, the deviant sexual practices of Americans and he really was, I mean, he wrote a lot. He, very prolific writer, um, recently had lost his partner of several decades. He was gay and had lost his partner and everything else, and the world is a sadder place now. Yep. That's really all I I've, I've heard a lot of people kind of compare him to Oscar Wilde. Right. Being that kind of satirical but really smart about it kind of and commentator. He also, he was sort of the polar opposite of uh, William F. Buckley. Yes. Who was a conserva- conservative. Yeah, they actually they did not like each other quite extensively. He and Buckley were... At each other's throats. Um, he did actually run for Congress um, unsuccessfully. Um, he also ran for the governor of California, once again, unsuccessfully, but he was going up against um, incumbent Jerry Brown, whom California loves. And he was writing up until his death, much like Christopher Hitchens. He really did. He had a passion for it. He he was a passionate writer. All right. Well, thank you for that, Don. Yeah. So as we know, the Olympics have started. and We're not going to sing the song because it's probably copyright protected? Probably. 
Just like we don't sing a song when it's happy birthday. No. No, we don't. Plus, pretty much everybody we talk about is dead anyway. (laughs) Really doesn't do any good to sing them happy birthday. Sometimes they're more recent people. I could have been talking about Jerry Garcia for 10 minutes. Yeah, but you didn't. But I didn't. (laughs) Because I I care about this podcast. You could have talked about Coolio. Yeah, that's true. And you could have have talked about uh, Snoop Dogg's uh, rebirth as a reggae artist. Because rap's too hard. Yes. Now oh, sorry. No, no, sorry. That rap's too hard. Rap has got too boring, and he's done everything he could possibly do in rap. So he's gone to reggae, which is uh, hasn't been a genre that's been done to death at all. No. Not yeah. All. There's never <laughs> been any forty-year-old white men who've ever done reggae. Never. And speaking of people talking about stuff that they really don't know what they're talking about, seems like there's a lot of comments nowadays about female athletes at the Olympics. That was an awkward transition. <laughs> I, I was trying s- to take this conversation on a wild right turn to get us back on track. Yeah. But, but we are the podcast of awkward transitions, don't you know that? And awkward silences where Greg talks about his sex life. Yeah, well, uh, it's the Olympics, so a lot of people like to turn on television and watch extremely fit people in very tight clothing do amazing things. Uh, you know, like... Most of the year, they just go to, you know, Spankwire to do that. Sure. <laughs> I guess so. But, yeah, we've kind of objectified the Olympics now, and I apologize for that. Anyway, the Olympics are, are kind of an amazing thing to watch, because these are very talented people who, who have spent their, uh, their entire, entire lives, lives up to this point, for the most part, working to become very, very good at, at uh, a broad range of things. And so it's really nice to watch experts do their thing. It's fun to watch really fast people run from the left to the right, or people hit badmintons. Oh, that one's a little bit silly. But, uh, but, or they but swim swimmers, in the pool, yeah, length whatever. after length after um, length. But unfortunately, what happens then is the internet trolls, especially in the last couple of Olympics, come out. They say they stupid things. Out. <laughs> yes. They say stupid shit. They Let's say just... stupid shit. So, Zoe Smith, a, a British weightlifter, who <laughs> lifted twice her weight? Damn uh, impressive! Is pretty damn impressive. To not do quite, that, not quite ant-like, but pretty um, special. But. but apparently, people it appears people on the internet aren't really worried about her finding them and ripping their throat out with her pinky and because so, she is very muscled. She is, but she's a weightlifter, so yeah. she's strong, appropriately so. Yeah, and of course, as you get closer to competitions in these, you, your muscle you tend to eat less and work out more, so you're more muscular, and mm. in many cases less ladylike, uh, or the traditional ladylike, you know, the curvaceous with big whatever. You less know, what Barbie-ish. About. Yeah, right, right. Less traditional. <sighs> I'm just digging myself a hole. Yeah, anyway, pretty much. Yeah. So. Yeah, because I'm starting to get actually offended. <laughs> okay, well, you talk about it. That's fine. Basically, <laughs> what has happened is she's come out against these people who are internet trolls and said, I don't get well, I was just shit. sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You told her that she could talk, and she started talking. So right. shut then your little mouth. Says, I don't give a shit that you don't find me attractive. Yeah. I'm not put on this earth to just fall down in front of you and basically spread my legs for you because you've said, oh, I wouldn't have sex with that. That's what she did. She's calling people out. She's saying, 
I am not what? attracted to you. Who the fuck cares? Right. Really, and That's especially what she saying said. that it, she was she has no idea what they look like, but their attitude and their personality that comes through in these comments. What did you expect that she's going to all of a sudden fall in love with someone who's saying these kind of really yeah, just I'm not attracted to you? Yeah, it's, it's like. like Oh, well, okay then, then I'll just suck your dick. No, that's not going to happen. That's not how you treat people. That's not how you treat women. See, the funny thing now is that she said what you guys said in a far better, better way. way. Right. She was, she was much more, she was much more graceful yes, she was. than I was. Yes. And, and I will and, freely admit yes. it. Um, you know, she's all like, cause, and she calls him out flat out. She says, because you are clearly the kindest, most attractive type of man to grace the earth with your presence. Yeah. She's talking about the guys who have said, well, you're not pretty enough for me to fuck. Exactly. Still a lot of snark, but in a classy way. Right. It's very classy. So I, I was impressed. I'm sure. Well, obviously. Obviously, yeah. I am impressed. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, the weird thing about these kind of comments is... Especially in the Summer Olympics, where there are just so many damn events, there are a lot of different body types. There's the tiny waif-like gymnast who doesn't look like they've gone through puberty, and then I don't know. I was watching the American team last night. NBC was yeah. showing the American. They They're are not, not wafy. So okay. some of them are. Okay, they've they've They're got like gymnast legs, which you need strong legs to get through that. Yes. But they're tiny, tiny little people. <laughs> because they're like all four foot something. <laughs> right. Okay, so that's what I really meant. But then there are like tall and lanky, thin beach volleyball players because you need to be a bit more wiry and all round. And then you have very muscular weightlifters or people who are fencers who don't need a lot of specialized muscles who are average body types. There are a lot of body types on display, as it were, at the Olympics. There's something for everybody. So why are you picking on this weightlifter if that's I mean, not what you I, like? To me, it goes back to when I was growing up and watching the Olympics and everything else, the standard joke was the East, East German shot putter. That that was not a woman that was not feminine. Usually it was due to human growth there were hormones. Mu- mustache and, and, jokes and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. You know, but it, it's right back down to this, is the fact that a woman just because she's competing in the Olympics, is she immediately, then once again, debased down strictly to her looks? Is that her only value? And According that's what she's trills, called out. Yes. But then these are the same people that want her to get into a kitchen and make them a sandwich. In fact, I think that was one of the comments that yes. some asshole made. Yeah. So it's, it's a combination of objectifying women as objects, but also just your standard cultural kind of the role of women that they're not supposed to be doing anything strong or or independent of their man or getting out there and doing things for themselves. It's kind of this mixture of just awfulness. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take a small it's, right turn yeah, with this conversation because we were just talking about how... Um, I mean, Women are perceived? Yes, because there are a lot of athletes, men and women, in the Olympics who are very attractive, and as Gary said at the beginning of this, not wearing a lot of clothing at the time. So there are a lot of attractive people in the Olympics, and they are perceived, men and women, as kind of eye candy. 
There's a, a, a study that's uh, recently been published in the European Journal of Social Psychology where the researchers felt that they had shown finally that we really do view women as objects. So I'll go into kind of the procedures of the study, which it wasn't like an MRI study where you were looking at brain, brain the, what was going on in the brain and how people were thinking, but what they did is they showed a picture of a man or a woman fully clothed from head to knee, and then they showed them two other pictures right after that, after a, a, a gap, and one of the pictures was modified, and the subject had to guess which one was modified. And in the procedure of the study, they di- they showed different amounts of the body to the subject, and they ra- they asked them they measured them on how quickly they could identify which was the the modified object, right? And how they identified people as I as seeing women as objects or a collection of individual objects making up a mosaic of a whole is they found that men and women, when identifying the pictures, were better able to distinguish the differences in pictures if they were just shown one specific small body part, especially a sexual area like, say, the tummy or the breast or the ear. The crotchal region. The crotchal region, yes. Um, They could tell, both men and women could tell if a woman was different if they saw less of the body, but if they saw more of a gestalt, kind of the whole body picture, they were men and women were more likely to be able to tell the difference um, of men. I kind of got lost there. Right. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a confusing yeah. article, yeah. and unfortunately uh, we couldn't find the actual article online yeah. to figure it well, out. Well, uh, let me, I'll go back for a second in the idea that all this information showed them that when we're processing, looking at the subjects when they were looking at a man or a woman, seem to be able to to latch onto details of specific body parts when it came to women, but they recognized in men the parts as part of a context of the whole easier than if they just saw a little bit of a say a man's pectoral or something. Hmm. So this led them to conclude that all women are viewed as a collection of objects, Sorry, and men should, are should, viewed. You should say not objects, but a collection of parts. Collection of parts, which mean we object, objectify them, uh, which they inferred means okay, we objectify yeah. them. But we see men as as a whole, as a holistic thing where we can. If if one small part we can t- tell is different, then we see the whole is different. Hmm. The main problem, I mean, that's that's a little bit weird on saying yes. Now we objectify women because of this, because it's it's just the small but little. It, it may be uh, along the roads of how it's easier to objectify women because we view them as bits and pieces rather than a whole. Right. The, the the main worry I have with the study, especially not being able to look at the original, is who were the subjects? How big was the study? Well, there's there's that, but traditionally, my having been a psychology major, my view of psychology is that it's the study of Psych 101 students. 
<laughs> in the United States. So if you have students or kids or whatever who have been culturally taught that we objectify women and we look at their body parts more than we look at men, this may not be something inherent in humanity that's written into how we view things. Like, it's written into the biological makeup that we're, as humans, are really good at identifying faces. That's why we see a face in the parking meter, because it has, you know, two screw holes and a smiley face looking thing. But if, if we're just trained by our society to think of women as objects because of the commercials we see and the and 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 how we treat women in our society that doesn't necessarily mean that this is an intrinsic part of our human nature and and that's really kind of evidenced by the fact that they they said at the end of this article in Science Daily that we we read about that if they altered the procedure of the study just a little bit to emphasize looking at an object as a global whole as opposed to just your natural default how do you think of things people were more likely to see men and women as their global whole object or, or uh, just one big part as opposed to a sum of their parts. So it's really easy to screw with that. So I'm not sure how yeah, much and, this really shows that we naturally objectify women. Yeah, and I also got the feeling that they may be looking at it slightly askew because when they would show parts of females, they could recognize better that those parts were, were modified. Correct. And it may be that rather than we view them as bits and parts of, uh, bits and pieces, that perhaps we just tend to look closer at female bodies. As female bodies. Because yeah. in my personal opinion, the female body is a lot prettier than our lumpy male bodies. So maybe we just look at female bodies Your lumpy male more body. closely <laughs> because it may just be part of our culture as well, as well as the the objectifying women part. But maybe our culture just means we pay more attention to female bodies. Right. It may not be cultural. It may just be as as a species we do that. And maybe that's, 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 that's the point. It's, it's, it's very vague. But So my point about Psych 101 st- students is they didn't test this kind of thing on people – who are unacculturated in Western society. Right. It wasn't Aborigines in Australia. These it wasn't college Bushmen <laughs> in Africa. Yeah, it was college students who live in our media culture. Quite, quite you got to parse that out with more studies. Yeah. Although, it is interesting. Yeah. It, it shows that we need to pay attention to these things so that we don't objectify women or men. Yeah. Well, all right. I don't know how we're going to get into the next one. I'm just going to go just with it. Jump out. All yeah. right. Um, because we're talking about sex. And, and, oh, I mentioned that we should also study like African Bushmen to see if they have the same objectifying of images. So go, Donna. There's actually a new interesting paper that has just come out that is talking about sex in Africa 80,000 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yay! Really old people sex. <laughs> well, they weren't old when they were having sex. Cause yeah, it, it was, you know, I'm still... How do you know? Well, the, were you there? Okay, no, you I there? wasn't there, but I can suppose that 
Because it was, what, 50,000 years ago? 20 to 80,000 years okay. ago. Okay. Because that long ago, it was before the advent of modern medicine and modern sanitation. More likely, people died young, so it wasn't probably a, a lemon party with a bunch of really old 80-somethings getting it on. You spend too much time on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh, lemon parties when you squirt the lemon into your eye and laugh about it, right? Anyway, continue, <laughs> Donna. Don't uh, look it up, people. A, <laughs> yeah, seriously. This this is where we're going to say Google is not your friend. <laughs> you mean I shouldn't look up two girls, one cup? <sighs> so these three groups, the uh, Hadza, the Sandawi, and this group of pygmies, they found some... Basically, they found anomalies in the genetic structure, the genetics behind the pituitary gland, which might actually explain for this pygmy group some explanations about stature, early reproductive rights. Why they're pygmies. Basically, why they're <laughs> pygmies. Um, but they're not finding this these uh, this genetic structure in anybody else. It's just these. Isolated group. African groups. Right. So there are sub-Saharan, small hunter-gatherer groups. Thankfully, because the cost of actually um, testing out the whole genome, it has the price has gone down dramatically. These groups are there. They can go in there and test ten people very easily and map it out and be able to see specifically where some of these, you know. Peculiar sites are these short strands of DNA, and the more information we have for more different sequence DNA structures, we have a better idea of really where the variations right. in humanity really lie. And what they what they're interpreting it is is that these different divergent sequences are remnants of interbreeding with an archaic species of human, and they're thinking that it took place between twenty and eighty thousand years ago. So do they think this is related to, say, Neanderthals or yes. Africans Africans is something or probably a not Neanderthals because Neanderthals have not been seen in in Africa. And we is have that, their genome, right? Right. And the genomes are not matching up. So what they're thinking is is that it is a species of proto human that we haven't found yet. Because there's no archaeological evidence that is matching up. And that's the big thing with anthropology is genetics have kind of spurred this, spurred the science of anthropology in one direction. Archaeology takes it in another direction. And what they really want to see is match up, match up, match up. So it's not like the evidence is conflicting. It's just that there's evidence in the genetic side, but completely no evidence on the bone side. Right. And so between these three species, it, they think it's the same other species. Right. Between the three hunter-gatherer groups. Sorry, hunter-gatherer groups. There is this. Right. Right. So it's sort of like the Mongols going across Asia, uh, just basically having sex with everything in sight and putting their stamp upon <laughs> Africa. Right. Although... Right? <laughs> um, Chris Stringer, who's a paleoanthropologist out of the Natural History of London, came out and said that um, there have been um, known fossils that are modern human. They're, an example, there's, they have a 13,000-year-old skull from the Iwo, Iwo Eleru site in Nigeria, which has some primitive features. Uh, 
So this might be an example of more of that interbreeding, that that evidence that anthropologists are looking for, that not necessarily the geneticists are looking for. It really is this overlapping of how anthropology and genetics and chemistry are really kind of starting to overlap to, to lay about a greater picture of human history, especially when you're talking hundreds of thousands of years ago, millions of years ago. So it's one of those situations where we just find this one little nugget of information in, say, the genetics or, yes. or, or an idea in geology or something, and it's okay. Now let's go. F- we want to find, we want to find this new hominid fossil somewhere. We find rocks that are twenty to fifty thousand years old and can preserved right in the right way. So now it's like, okay, we have some evidence. We got to find more. Right. It's not people saying, oh, we found this. We know science. Yeah, definitely. No more questions. It's hey, let's go find out more. Because you know that's the big argument that that everybody makes is, oh, well, there's you know there's none of these uh, transitional forms. You know, oh, the transitional form, the transitional form. So the, the creationist right. argument. Right, that's the creationist argument. Here's the problem. Half of Africa, we haven't found these fossils in. It's so, a big place. Right, it's a, exactly. <laughs> so, and bodies don't really last that long after they die in a big, yeah, hot place. It's, it's, With wild animals. The fact that, the fact that we have like as many as we do, considering the topography, the geography, the animals, the environment, and everything else, because... Preserving human bone is actually much more difficult than people want to believe. Yeah, it, sometimes Otherwise, we'd be up to our asses in <laughs> bones of all kinds. Right. Yeah, sometimes the best we have is, a, is one tooth. Yeah. Or, or a few teeth. So, like you said, I mean, Chris Stringer has this, this great quote, for half of Africa, we really have no fossil record to speak of. So it's quite likely that we're surviving archaic forms living alongside modern humans. I mean, it's the same. This is the same thing that's happening in Europe with early versions of anatomically modern human, basically outpacing Neanderthals. They were living together at the same time. They simply genetically and evolutionary wise outpaced them. How we're not sure. That's all we know. But we do know that there was interbreeding. We've now seen it in our genetic records. Now we're seeing a different interbreeding in more right. genetic records. This is going to be taking off more and more. You're going to be hearing about this for years. Right. This is they this were, is actually they were definitely huge. getting their primate sexy time. On. They were getting primate sexy. And, and one of the things that I think of when I hear stories about this, about you know new evidence of interbreeding, whether it was once we found Neanderthals, uh, Neanderthals sequence, and we're able to compare it to ours and say, oh. Arnold Schwarzenegger does have a little bit of a Neanderthal in him, or something like that. Um, the idea that the the Ozzy Osbourne concert- yeah. <laughs> well, you know, maybe. I was always going with Steven Tyler. Well, I think Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's big, he's got a big forehead, and he's going to come back. And have you looked at Steven Tyler? He's just. He's missing up. Link. He's he's he. he- Ozzy, Ozzy Osbourne has famously been in the paper as having DNA. Uh, yes, Neanderthals. So that's why he's my go-to. Okay, we plus, all have a different go-to. He, he talks celebrity. like what probably Neanderthals talked like. Or Dolph Lundgren. 
Anyway. Anyway. Totally off the rails. What I was saying is is the idea... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get in the chopper! <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. That was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, okay. Obviously. Because they sound nothing alike. Um, what I was going into was the idea that you've got... Conservative Christians saying that we have always been this way, these monogamous no, we people haven't. who just have sex with our kind and no mixing of the races. Hell, we were having sex with technically different species. Well, I mean, we just heard about the kid having sex with a cow. Yes. Yeah, now he has to marry it. Now yeah. it. So, well, he did marry it, and then they killed it. it it's more and more <laughs> so evidence that we humans are naturally... Sexy and sex driven, and we want to have yes. a lot of sex, and there's no problem with that. Yes, humans, we think with our penis and our cooch. Okay, flat out. Right. That's we we think of propagating the species, or at least trying to propagate the species practice with it. as many people as possible. Right. Like and practice. that's probably way too much information about me. <laughs> Awkward silence. Well, uh, just the the idea that you know this 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 new evidence of interbreeding with different species shows that we're we're more we're more sexually adventurous than the conservatives want to think. Well, and you know, it's the, well, the, and the conservatives are more sexually than they want anybody else yeah. to think. But we've also think. shown that you know the important thing is that people love more than we what the conservatives want us to think. And fortunately, there was another ruling saying that, yes, people who are in non-traditional relationships should be allowed to love each other. And yet again, DOMA was ruled unconstitutional this week in a Connecticut court. Hmm. So Yeah, but it's Connecticut. Who cares about Connecticut? Well, it's one more nail in the coffin because... Um, Apparently not, because I think we're the only people who've heard about this. Yeah, it, uh, well, the only article I saw about it was in The Advocate, but... It is the the thing about it. It is not the only time it's been struck down. There's enough. At least one appellate court has struck it down. Five different district courts, and for some reason, a bankruptcy court struck down DOMA. So all these various <laughs> bankruptcy courts. Yeah, I don't understand either. There was no details of why bankruptcy. Maybe it had to do with you know defensive they, money act. They, they someone trying to get money from a couple and they couldn't because they were technically not really married because they're gay. I don't know. Huh. But yet another case that once they combine across all these different districts and they eventually get to the Supreme Court, if there's enough um, case law behind this. <laughs> uh, that sounds a lot worse than it is, folks. That's my dog uh, trying to have sex with a flea. Yes. It or, was not- she, or she might she, she might have got scratched on a... Uh, Something that I had. That was not Gary showing us how flexible he is and having primate sexy time with himself. (laughs) Speaking of really, really fit, flexible people having sex, there was another new study that came out um, talking. (laughs) (laughs) um, Published somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it, I was doing so well. (laughs) Published some. Where? Awesome. <laughs> we're, and just think, we're your professionals. We do this for a living. I, I think it was more than one study. It is a yeah. uh, a coalesce, yeah. uh, coalescence well, of studies. Um, the, there's this old myth 
or that you shouldn't have sex before a big physical competition like the Olympics, which brings us all the way back around again, um, because it'll affect your performance. Right. And uh, the, really, yes, because you need to be what. Pent up, frustrated, uh, angry, uh, frustrated. Because like <laughs> Go ahead, Gary. this guy named uh, Marty Licuri, or Licuri, probably oh, Licuri. Wow. He oh. is a 5,000 meter runner uh, 40 years ago, and he apparently uh, he said, "Sex makes you happy. Happy people don't run a 3:47 mile." Right, and that's you- probably the the best rationalization I've got uh, of that. You know, because you know, the faster you get done, the faster you can. Uh, shower and and get into the bedroom, or you have and coaches get into primate sexy time. Yeah, you have coaches telling their team you're not allowed to have a sex the month surrounding a tournament, or Muhammad Ali saying that he wasn't going to have sex before a boxing match. To kind of the the idea being that you hold on to your testosterone somehow yeah, and you'd be more aggressive. And and it's it's a little wooey kind of your. There's no evidence that you lose testosterone by having sex. Right. So. They, someone finally said, okay, people say you lose um, performance, hey. not being weird there, but you know, f- physical activity performance by having sex. It's still weird, but go ahead. <laughs> so there were three studies mentioned in this article. The first, they took um, a small group of 14 married males, and they just they, they took a hand grip test, which <laughs> is very Freudian penis-y to yeah. me. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and Donna's cracking up over this. So I'm just gonna keep going. That they they tested the guy's hand grip, their kung fu grip before they had sex, and then after they had sex, they they tested the hand grip and found no difference. And same right, same test. They they did it the day after they had sex, and then six days uh, going going without sex at least six going. Six days without sex. <laughs> right. So there was also, like you said, uh, so there was also a follow-up study to that where they tested other things behind, besides the highly amusing hand grip <laughs> <laughs> measure, where they they tested reaction time, lateral movement. Well, lateral movement can't send, sounds kind of sexy. Uh, aerobic power, yeah, kind of sexy. Balance, uh, still the grip strength, and... Something called their VO2 max, which I think is a kind of lube. Um, isn't it's it a hair s- stuff? No, wait a minute. No. Hold on. Isn't it oxygen? Yeah, measure oxygen efficiency. Okay. So, and apparently in this case, sex made no difference in all of those sexy-sounding standards. And then there was another study where before a fitness test and and no um, no sex. They they said nope. There's no difference in aerobic power or their pulse or the blood pressure or anything right. like but that. But it doesn't it doesn't um, it doesn't address motivation. Right. It's all about there's no physiological effect. Right. So at least this one part of that myth is busted. Hopefully that phrase isn't copyrighted and Discovery Channel doesn't come after us. But as you said, well, we just draw attention to that way. <laughs> But yeah, the the idea that not having sex keeps you frustrated and motivated to I'm gonna win that thing. So your primitive brain says I'm gonna win that competition and then get to have booty. Yeah. Well, and actually, booty is not that um, strenuous of an actual exercise. Well, I'm kind of fat, so yeah, it is. Well, <laughs> no, it's I think the it's the exercise equivalent of like three flights of stairs. 
Well, not when you do it for as long as I do. Yeah, I still don't believe that. Three (laughs) minutes. No. Anyway, I'm not going to get into details here, but I can brag. Um, Apparently, the Olympians do kind of take these things in stride because you have people like rooming with their wives and still getting it on. They hand out thousands upon thousands of condoms at the Olympic villages because they know people are having sex. And there's still people who win well, gold they're there, medals. They're there for 17 days, you know. <laughs> right. There's the there's the you know the high jumper or something who has one day of competition. They're done with their high jumping. They win or they lose, and they're done. And then they can go out and bonk anybody they can find. <laughs> right. But there are plenty of people who maybe are doing a soccer tournament the whole length of the Olympics who probably still I couldn't go that long without some sort of release. So, uh, people are going to be getting it on, and there are plenty of people who still win and do good in the Olympics. Yeah. And, you know, if you really want to figure out if sex diminishes your Olympics, you have just some kind of sex journal that every Olympian says, you know, just yes or no, did I have sex or masturbate? Yeah, but and no when, one... But, and but then the, do they okay, win no. at a competition? Okay. Because I'm willing to bet that Michael Phelps... Is getting a lot of booty. <laughs> but I'm just, but well, most, we already know that his performance is not diminished by the fact that he does apparently occasionally smoke pot. If you think that sex may diminish your performance on on the field, you're not going to have sex, and therefore doing that, you're not going to experiment the night before right. an Olympic game. So. And unless unless you're you're Michael Phelps and you're like, okay, I don't really give a shit about this particular swim meet that I'm going in, I'm going to give it a shot. Right. right. That's about the I'm only time. I'm not saying that we. I mean, it would have to be an observational study, not a blinded um, controlled test. We would not divide groups into uh, athletes yeah, yeah. into groups of you're going to have but to have sex that, it's, every it's, day during the competition and you're not right. But even then, it's all it's also subjective anyway. Well, because it, at any one point, the number I'm one I'm talking runner, about like an initial <laughs> study to just get an idea. It's not going to be the definitive work on whether bonking affects your Olympic performance. Yeah. Well, I mean, my point but it could is give that, us a better idea. Yeah. There's hardly any any way that you could um, do that. It I mean, wouldn't hurt to ask. <laughs> all right. The Italian soccer team, you're having sex tonight. Uh, no, when they're all done, you, uh, the American soccer it. team, uh, <laughs> when they're done having sex, you're not, but you're all going to bed at the same time. Uh, American soccer team, you're doing, you're doing sit-ups. Right. <laughs> because you're not going to win anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, the American men's not going to win anyway. Women might have a chance. Yeah, at some point, um, the men's team might, might... Anyway, it doesn't matter. That's not particularly sciencey or skeptically... All but right. it is still sexy. It, it is. And that's the important thing about episode 69, to be all about sexy stuff. Yeah. Even though part of it wasn't. <laughs> well, yeah, the birthday thing, Lamarckian evolution is Well, the not birthday very is kind of sexy, because obviously someone had to have sex before. Okay, we can rationalize this all day. Regardless, uh, I think that brings us back to the lightning round, does it not? I think so. The Finally, the return of the, the lightning, lightning round! round! Lightning round! Lightning round! 
lightning round. The lightning, lightning round. round. And we've we've changed format a bit, have yes. we not? Well, uh, let's give a refresher on the lightning round just because, well, we haven't done it in almost a month. Yeah. Uh, more than a month. Um, we post a lot of stuff to our Facebook page and hope that you like us and follow us and see the quippy little remarks that we put up there. But those also get sent out to our Twitter feed as well. Well, it's more than, than we can possibly talk about on our show. We talk about too much on our show anyway. <laughs> and probably most of you are listening to us on double time and make us sound funny. So we well, reserve... it make us sound funny because we were talking really fast. I talk really fast. I mean, we all talk really fast, which is really bad for us for We just all really talk really fast. Yes. That is what we do. See, one thing you should know is that we are all over 30 years old, which means we remember tape players. And so um, <laughs> when you slow down a tape player, it actually slows down to make the voice slower. So it goes like this. And when you speed it up, it goes like this. <laughs> but with the new digital technology, all it does is it speeds up the speed without raising or lowering the pitch. I know. We're old people. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. continue. <laughs> <laughs> so we reserve a little bit of time at the end of the show to do a little quick little lightning round to get through as many stories as we can. And re- recently we've changed it over to more of a quiz format. So each of uh, Donna and Gary will get 90 seconds to answer as many questions as they can, fill in the blank questions, and um, they will. the only way they will compete against me is if when I'm answering the questions I get everything exactly right Maybe yeah. I might, but generally the competition is between Gary and Donna on seeing who's queen of the podcast. Oh, okay. So, ready? Uh, there's 90 Thanks. seconds on the board. I think we're going to start with Donna this week. Okay. <clears throat> Nine, uh, your 90 seconds will start when I complete your first question. This week, Greg called on the Skeptic Wire listeners to rate the site blank via the Web of Trust browser plugin. Oh, say no to vaccines.org. Very nice. Um, uh, ba- uh, Bali officials decide to punish an 18-year-old boy for having sex with a cow by blank. Making him marry her. Yes. And then killing her. I forgot that part. Uh, a Forbes article last week is focused on the growing danger of blank. Whooping cough. I don't know. Close enough anti-vax proponents. Uh, researchers, research, eh, researchers have announced that two years after receiving bone marrow transplants... Two men have seemed to be cured of blank. AIDS. HIV. Yes. Um, a species of termite has been found that develops a blank on the back on their backs as they grow older. Uh, like a almost like a bomb mound thingy. I'll accept that. Toxic chemical suicide bomb. <laughs> Uh, today, cool. August 1st, new provisions of the Affordable Care Act went to an effect that is providing free access to blank and blank for women. Uh Girl care, yeah, free um, contraceptive uh, and health screenings. Yep. Um, researchers at the University of Can- Kansas discovered that if people blanked, they'd have lower heart rates after a stressful situation. <laughs> oh, I'm not touching this one. I have no idea, but I know where I was going, and so. <laughs> Held a facial position similar to smiling. All right. That's it. That's it. I only missed one. Donna did really well. Six right, only one wrong. Uh, okay. And that was kind of an obscure one, something I I think just posted in the last day or so. Yes, so. I actually knew that one. Very nice, Donna. Very, very nice. 
She was worried she wasn't going to win. Okay. So it looks like Donna's going to be queen of the podcast. Perhaps. We shall see. Well, Gary. Yeah. So you need seven correct to win. Yeah. Six to tie. Yep. And five to be a complete loser. I'll go for one. Okay. <laughs> the your timer will start when I finish your first question. Yep. Fans have another chance to meet Greg and possibly Gary in person because registration is now open for the fifth annu- annual blank convention. November 9th to 11th in Springfield, Missouri. You don't have to finish the damn question. Yes, Skepticon, come see us. Um, the Atlantic article suggests that uh, discussing the melting point of bronze or the World War II bombing of London, if you want to change the conversation from blank. Olympics. Yep. Uh, Indonesian zookeepers have moved an orangutan out of visitor's site, so she'll no longer blank. Smoke. Yes. Uh, in a 104-page disca- uh, decision, Connecticut federal judge Vanessa Bryant uh, struck down sections of blank. Doma. Yes. Uh, Ugandan authorities, the U.S. CDC, and Doctors Without Borders are playing catch-up to determine the extent of an outbreak of blank. Whooping cough. Ebola. <laughs> oh, it's a new version, too. James Fox and Ben McGee, stars of blank, commented publicly that their show was not serious or UFO scientific hunters. enough. Close UFO. enough, I'll give it to you. Chasing UFOs. Chasing UFOs. Some crappy UFO show. Uh, Chris Seeley, pastor of Houston's Ecclesia Church, has decided to retranslate the Bible in the style of blank. A uh, movie script. Screenplay. Good. Um, hundreds of Native Americans are expected to gather in, in Goshen, Connecticut, to hold a naming ceremony for blank. White buffalo, baby. Yep. Um... Uh, researchers at MIT have developed a computer simulation that suggests that JFK, LAX, and Honolulu airports would be blank. Uh, prime candidates for a outbreak of disease stuff. I'll Epidemic. That. And the technical term they used was early time super spreaders. Okay. Congratulations. Which sounds, that sounds very primate sexy time. Early time <laughs> super spreaders. <laughs> Congratulations, Gary. You were queen of the podcast. You, you had eight correct and one wrong. Fucking A. Very nice. <laughs> Yay. Hey, for once, we both did very well, because normally we're competing to see who actually <laughs> who does worse. It really, it usually was a competition of who sucked less. Yeah. Uh, it, it's weird, because it's, it's amazing how much I actually read. Because I always come in feeling I'm thoroughly unprepared, which, by the topics we actually talk about, yeah, I have no clue. But, you know, I do read the headlines. <laughs> and, and that's mostly with the and, full blank and, and a little bit beyond the headlines, yeah. but I'm, I'm surprised. Craig, you have minute and 30 seconds I on I have to at least board. beat eight, and I have to get nothing wrong. Yep. A recent study suggests that chlorine and bromine molecules ejected by cumulonimbus clouds are... Uh, Punching holes in the ozone layer. Ding. Ding. <laughs> Ronald William Brown, a professor, professional puppeteer and active congregant at the Gulf Coast Church, was arrested for conspiring to kidnap a child and possession of child pornography and was also found to be in the interest of what? Um, killing and eating a specific boy at the church he was at. What a loving pastor. Yeah. Not a pastor, oh, just Darren a puppeteer. Oh, Sherkart... <laughs> Performing an internal audit of the quality and peer review process around Mark Regeneris's gay parent study, and his concise assessment was: "It's bullshit." 
A new study published in the British Journal of Urology International showed that men with blank experienced lower urinary tract symptoms and had more sexual problems. Um, With larger waistlines. They had more urinary tract problems. Journal radio host and author Blank confronted Reverend Will Owens at the Coalition of African American Pastors press conference, pressing him on his God's position of polygamy. Jamila Bay. J. Bay on Twitter. NASA has announced plans to live stream the full Blank landing on August 5th. Curiosity Rover. Texas State Representative Debbie Riddle suggested on her Facebook page that blank would help our failing schools. Um, reading Proverbs in schools. Biblical passages. Seven. Yes! <laughs> Yay! Good job! <laughs> Gary is truly queen of the podcast. Yes, he is. Uh, although, I, I think that had you not stumbled a little bit, you could have got the next question started. So let's let's see about the next question. Regardless, you tied, so yeah. But I wrote the questions, yeah. so the 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 you have to be the, yeah. You, if you're grading on a curve, you definitely won. Yeah. Political <laughs> science professor and author Andrew Hacker wrote a New York Times opinion piece this week, questioning the need for teaching blank in schools. Algebra. <laughs> Yeah, I that's believe we just didn't like, talk about that one. Yeah, I, there's a pretty good response to it by Hemet Mehta, a friendly yeah. atheist. I mean, he's he's a math teacher. He teaches geometry and probably a few other subjects as well. Well, let's just, let's but, just put it this way. Uh, the reason that the guy said that not to teach algebra is because it causes kids to fail and they're dropping out. Basically, let's not teach it because it's hard. It's hard. And, <laughs> yeah, it's not like, you know, algebra is counting yeah. You know, it's basic math, just it, with it, X's and Y's. And uh, you talked about, oh, we should do more things like statistics, but for statistics, you still need some you algebra, need algebra skills. You absolutely right. you need You need that. The guy's a moron. I mean, there's higher order differential calculus or something. No, <laughs> not everybody needs to take that, but there's a basic level of math proficiency. There's just basic like levels of knowledge basic that we should reading all proficiency. have. And it'd be really nice if we had the basic level of government and perhaps, as an adult, have government classes. But right. Well, I know that in Texas universities, actually, federal and Texas government are required in the undergraduate levels. Uh, yes. That's also just out of high school, and, you, and you, no one who pays attention. The only people who pays attention to those are the people who are actually going into the politics. <laughs> you know, so, because I, I, I know I took it. I took history in, in government, and it just bored the, the crap. Funny, I don't remember. funny thing was is that when I came here to go to UT for graduate school, they made me take Texas government. Awesome. So. I mean, that's, uh, I, it's, it's important. But I had an asshole of a professor. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I had a professor look at me. Um, because I was taking the class with uh, Michael. And he went. Teacher Mike. No, I took the class with Teacher Mike. And we'd taken the exact same test. I had, I mean, long, intricate, I mean, like, I covered everything that he had mentioned in lecture and everything else. And I came out of the test with, like, two or three points less than Mike. And so I walked up to him and I said, explain this to me. And he looked at me and he said, oh, well, since you're starting the graduate school program, I, I, I'm grading you on a tougher scale. Yeah. I was all like... What does this have to do with your degree? 
Yeah, it had nothing. Yeah, exactly. Did I get the answer right or not? Right. But that was my thing was basically said, I'm going to grade you tougher. That was that was his whole and I mean literally said it in front of everybody. If you if you're grading everybody tougher because they're going to graduate school, fine, but that should be everybody, not yep. just I was the know. only one. Yeah. So that became, oh, look, I'm done with Texas, Texas government. I must find a margarita now. <laughs> well, at, at least it wasn't kind of a glass ceiling kind of treating you differently. It was... Toughing you up, tough, kind of. Yeah. Because you're... Yeah, no. Going, no, you yeah, me up. Uh, scare quotes, by the way. <laughs> at at, yeah, at least it wasn't because you were a woman. Yeah. yeah, well, I think that may have had something to do with it. Yeah, it just, may just have was, yeah, yeah. Um, One last thing before we go. The Center for Disease Control has changed the recommendations for vaccines to help protect against uh, young and vulnerable children around you. So you might want to go to, uh, we'll have a link in the show notes and on the blog. Um, you might want to go and check out what vaccines adults should get because they have made a slight change to them. And we'll probably talk about this next week. Yeah, some, uh, we always talk about vaccines. Yeah. We love vaccines. <laughs> Go get your pertussis vaccine. Pneumococcal, yeah. HPV, Tdap, and, and Td. There you go. I believe that brings us to the end of the podcast. Uh, yep. Please rate us on iTunes or Podcaster or whatever else out there are rating systems. Or just you know tell a friend about us, and so our our reach grows. And yeah. if yeah, you have any emails. questions, email us or post a question on Facebook. Or we we try to be as responsive as we can, being amateurs. But uh, yeah. we really like to hear from you guys, and we, especially we when love, we're talking about primate sexy time type stuff. We we love to hear from the people who are listening to us. We really Yay. do because I mean we've got some us. really great listeners out there who have posted on our web pages, you know. Hey, have you seen this article? No, we love not finding the oh, articles. Yeah, yeah please. If, if feel you free. can make our jobs easier and tell us what's going on in the news so we don't have to find it, we love you. We love you long time. And stuff you might want to be interested in hearing about. Yes, our maniacal our, ramblings. Our, our take on it. All right, so thank you for joining us this week. Thank you, my co hosts, uh, Donna and Greg. Thank you, Greg my Donna. host, Gary. Thank yes. you, host, Gary. And the dogs. Calliope and Misi. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Yay! Bye-bye. The Skeptic Wire podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the Podposted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. What, what have we for birthdays? We have birthday today. We have... John Beep. John Beep. Beep, 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 beep. John beep. Jacob Jingleheimer Smith. Get it out of your Hey, system. his name is my name, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry, Gary.
that you get to edit this. You know, maybe we'll just skip episode 69 and move on to 70. Welcome to episode 70, folks. (laughs) So Donna, tell us about sex in Africa. And we'll skip 72 as well. Or sorry, seventy-one. No, we we if if we're skipping sixty-nine, we have to skip, skip seventy because seventy is a sixty-nine with one finger up the butt. Yeah, and what's seventy-one? Two fingers up the butt. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so we're safe once we get to eighty. 